Amen. If you would remain standing for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be reading Romans 13, 8 through 10 this morning, the law of love. It says in the epistle to the Romans, number 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So our Christians, uh, uh, brothers, sisters in Christ, uh, if you've uh, been named a Christian, you have received brotherhood into the people of God, sonship you've received by the mercies of God. And so in Romans 12, verse 1, you see a transition in this letter. God, uh, Paul has been speaking of the gospel, the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, received, uh, and it is powerful for the salvation of those who believe. He's articulated it 1 through 11, and in 12 he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's a new way, no longer conformed to the pattern of the world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, you may test and discern what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. So when we're talking about loving, our calling to love, our debt of love, the law of love, we're speaking uh, to those who have received the mercies of God and now have a new life of gratefulness in light of His mercies. Uh, so as you've been receiving God's mercy, you have a new identity and a new debt to pay there. It says in verse 8, Owe nothing, owe no one anything except love for each other, meaning everyone. Uh, it's a debt that you cannot pay. It is a debt that is uh, rather infinite in regard to us. Uh, we cannot fully uh, capture what it is to, to, to love everyone uh, and to uh, owe one nothing, uh, if we could ever do that, or owe one anything. So uh, our debts have been paid by Christ. So we are debt-free uh, in regards to God, but we have debts to our brothers. That is our position. We have debts to our brothers. Our debts to God have been paid and canceled. Uh, they have been met in Christ. So we must have that as our starting position. We have no debts before God. We have debts one to another. All right? And we saw last week that our debt to our government is taxes, honor, respect. And even this is a wicked government. You know, in the, in the Roman times, it was uh, not uncommon to be uh, mistreated by the government if you're a Christian. But for the most part, uh, you know, and, and if it's not persecution, uh, the government's a gift and a, and, a, and a servant for our good. So, you see, we have the, the, uh, the calling to honor and respect. But as regards just people in general, we have a more particular calling to Love each and every person, right? So that's what we get to in verse 8. Now, I want to make sure that we understand this. Uh, we're to love each other and everyone, not like. There's a difference, right? Uh, we're not, we don't, there's no, no verse that says you have to like everybody. You know, like is a feeling. 
a lot of people you don't like. Uh, but we, do, we must love that person, and love is different, right? So like is a feeling, but love is an action. And I want to prove that to you. Uh, you know, we might call, you know, some people in the uh, academic world don't like Paul. Uh, they say he's a little bit harsh. They just want to listen to Jesus. But I would argue if anybody uh, ought to be called the apostle of love, it's Paul. He, after all, wrote the love chapter in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He's an authority on love. He's received love from God. And so on the basis of our receiving love from God and from Christ, we're to love each other. Our neighbors. We're the only, only, only Christians can, can properly honor government. Only Christians can properly love everyone. Only believers, because we receive the love of God. Now, here's what Paul describes love as in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Uh, it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So he's, he's saying that love is absolutely indispensable. If you read the, the previous verses before that, he says, if you have, you know, if you can prophesy and speak in these tongues of angels but have not love, you're just a resounding gong. You know, love is indispensable for the Christian life according to the, toward, toward the word of God. Now, uh, John Chrysostom, uh, an early church father, the 4th century church father, was preaching on this text, and he said, uh, nothing can compensate for the absence of love. He says, when he preached it, he said, not only uh, is it indispensable, he says, if you have no love, uh, you're, just use- you're, not, you're not only useless, but you're, a, you're positively a nuisance. Uh, you're this clanging gong. You must understand that if you're a person who names yourself as a Christian but don't love, you're not only useless, but you're a nuisance. That is very strongly worded and, and, and important words uh, for what we're called to be as we're as loving each other and, and owing no one nothing but any but love. So the word that Paul uses there for, uh, for showing kindness, uh, it says love is patient, love is kind at the beginning of that text. Uh, it's good to know that uh, that's translated awkwardly because... Uh, as you see, it, it bears no, it bears, uh, you know, no grudges, it, it accepts, it, it, like, all these are verbs. But when you look at love is patient, love is kind, uh, they're, tra- they're translated as nouns, but every single uh, descriptor of love there is action. So love is one who shows kindness, love is one who shows patience and bears uh, patiently, right? So, so the, the, you've got to know here that Paul is using action verbs to describe love. Love is more than a feeling, of course, uh, it is action. Love is an action, not an affection. And it is an affection, but it is more so. It is an action. So the profound truth is these active verbs are the descriptors of love. So you may not be feeling very loving right now, but you are in some manner loving God because you got out of bed and came to church and worshipped Him. Like, you're actually loving Him better than the person who feels a vague affection for God but is not here. I mean, that's objective. Uh, you're doing something. Action over feeling. Love is action. Love is verbs. Love is doing, not just feeling. That's an important, important point you have to know because we, we don't always think about love is more than a feeling or an affection. It's action. Love is doing. Now, according to Scripture, that's what it is. That's our, that's our standard. We, we, I, no apologies for that. Uh, consider what love he's calling us to do. To, to, undertake here. Now, 
he says, owe, nothing, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves uh, another has fulfilled the law. And then he describes the law. So love and the law are inextricably linked. Right? So he says in verse 9, for the commandments you shall not commit adultery. So he speaks about number 7 of the Ten Commandments. And then he says you shall not murder. He goes back to 6. He goes you shall not steal, number 8. And then he, he, he skips 9 and goes to 10, you shall not covet. And then he, and he does, etc. He says, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So two big things you need to know about that. Well, first of all, this is not unique to him. This is what uh, Jesus has said all over the place. He says, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything you are, your whole being, right? And then your, the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And those are the those are the Ten Commandments summarized. That's the whole moral law summarized, right? So that's the, that's the prologue here. But the two things you've got to know about this statement in 9 and 10, or 9 is exactly, verse 9, is number one, it shows that every shall not, you shall not, those commandments summarized there, there's also a positive involved there. You shall not also involves a positive command, right? So when, when it says you shall not commit adultery, it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What it's saying also is not just merely avoiding adultery, but preserving the sacredness of the marriage bond. The positive is implied when it says you shall actively love. It's not just avoiding, but loving, right? So there's a positive and a negative. It says uh, you shall, uh, when it says you shall not murder, it's saying you shall love and therefore not murder, but help your neighbor keep alive and be well. Uh, so preserving your neighbor's life is also implied there, right? Uh, that's implied. Uh, it says, uh, you shall love and accordingly not steal anything that belongs to your neighbor, but also protect his possessions. Love your neighbor by protecting his possessions. You shall love. As a result, not coveting, but also being thankful and rejoicing that your neighbor has what he or she has. Wow, we're going to get uh, cast list today for our, some of our students, you know, for a play they tried out for. We've got to be happy for what everyone got, you know. Not just what we got or what we didn't get, but, but happy for what everyone has. Uh, you know, that's what's called here, not just avoiding coveting, but also the positive of loving our neighbor, being grateful and thankful and rejoicing in what that person got, you know, that we didn't get necessarily. So another thing about this command is it says, as yourself, right? Love, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. You ever thought about what that means? You should love your neighbor as yourself. And what's meant by that is that it's a granted, it's a given that a person's going to love himself or herself, right? You're certain to do that, you know, and, 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 and how do I know that? You love yourself in spite of your faults. You don't put your love for yourself to be conditioned on what you've done and what you haven't done. You're going to keep on loving yourself, and so when you're called to love your neighbors yourself, you're going to love your neighbor and extend your, neighbor's lo- your neighbor love out there, not based upon... Does he or she deserve it? Have they earned my love? But I'm going to love because they're there. Just like myself is there. I intrinsically, instinctually do what I think is loving myself. You know, I'm going to, I may be wrong about that, but I'm going to care for myself as I understand it. It's instinctual, and it doesn't regard whether I'm worthy or not uh, because I, I do it instinctually. So, so that's love your neighbor as yourself. So it's a positive and negative, and it's, it's a given. That's our calling as yourself. Uh, secondly, or also in, in verse 10, 
on this uh, topic of what is love. Uh, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So, does no wrong to the neighbor. That's a, that's a, a colloquial way of saying it, a figure of speech. It's saying, like, if you say, well, well, he's no fool, you know, you're saying, well, he's pretty shrewd or wise, right? When you say, he's no fool, uh, you're not just saying, well, he's just really not a fool. You're saying, well, he's, he's actually quite, quite smart, you know, and, and skilled. So, uh, so, so love uh, does no harm to a neighbor, and love greatly benefits his neighbor as well. So it's more than just not doing harm, it's greatly benefiting as well. Uh, does no harm is deliberately understating it uh, to, 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 to emphasize the benefits as well. Uh, notice it says in uh, 10, uh, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore the fulfilling of the law is love. It's, it's, it begins and ends with love in the, in the Greek uh, text, which is incredible. Love is the beginning and end. Uh, so love is the center of the law for us. So let's talk about that. Uh, the Holy Spirit has created us uh, to love others, neighbors. Uh, as, uh, as R.C. Sproul once said, there is no universal brotherhood of man. We're not all brothers because we're not in the same household. Believers are adopted in the household. But there is a universal neighborhood. Every single person is our neighbor. Every single person who we come in contact in with is our neighbor. And I want to show you that. Whom should you love? Every single person you're in contact with, the people in close proximity to you, because we all want to justify ourselves and claim we're good at this loving thing. We all want to be our defense attorney and tell us we are, we're justified. Jesus had an encounter with an expert in the law, so the expert in the law of, of Israel, uh, the, the Old Testament, and how it applied nationally and spiritually to, to their relationship to God. And so this lawyer in, in Luke 10, 25, approaches Jesus, and it says in verse 25, put him to the test. And he asks a question. He said, teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? You heard this one? It's called the, that's the, that's the, the, pre, the prologue to this parable known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. How can I inherit eternal life? That's the, answer, that's the question. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Exactly what we just read. Okay, perfect. Perfect so far. Verse 28, and he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. And then, this is the big question. The lawyer said, he, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus launches into this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, you should be, uh, you know, uh, mildly surprised there, right? Because these are supposed to be the leaders uh, of, of the nation of Israel and the, and, the, and the holy guys, the priests and the Levites. And they've left this guy abandoned on the side of the road. Maybe they think, well, we'll get jumped too and, and robbed too, or they have other things to do. No answer. They just go on about their way. Then you see the, the, the shocking point. 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came to where he was, the man who was beaten, and he saw him, and he had compassion. He felt compassion. It says, he went to him, action, and bound up his wounds, action, pouring on oil and wine, action. Then he set him on his own animal, action, and brought him to an inn, action, and he took care of him, action. And the next day he took out two denarii, action, and gave them to the innkeeper, action, and said, action, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Future actions. Action, 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 action. Love, love, love. He loves his neighbor. Now, hope that's helpful. Now, Jesus asked the question, and he moves out of story mode, and he speaks to the, directly to the man. He says, which of these three priest, Levite, Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus answered him and said, you go and do likewise. So this was originally a debate, right, between the teacher and the lawyer. And what's written in the law, what was your understanding of it? And, and he gives him the right answer, no one ever, but no one's ever kept that command, of course. And after, the, after that discussion... There's that self-justification. Well, how do I know I'm right with God? Who's my neighbor? And then he tells this story with intent. Now, this, this place from, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, was, a, was, a, was a well-known path. Uh, we, we, you know, I, I, it's, 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 you know, people took this path, they've taken this path for centuries. Uh, it is known for having, um, well, you're, going, you're kind of going through this wilderness area, right? And uh, there's some danger there because people can hide out. Thieves, predators, as you see here. It's, not, it's unsurprising that there were robbers here uh, in this story. And it's dangerous. So this man's vulnerable. He's in danger. And sure enough, he's helpless. And then here you go. When you get to Jericho, though, people went to Jericho, right? Because it's this oasis in the wilderness. It's an amazing area. There's these green trees uh, and, and a city there. It's a, it's, there's water, refreshing water springs and it's an it's amazing place in this wilderness area. So it's very uncommon. Uh, it's uncommon. It's, it's very common for people to move from Jerusalem to, to 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 Jericho, in the east. Well, this guy, the Samaritan, also going to Jericho. These Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They hated each other, uh, but this Samaritan shows compassion. He feels the pain. He demonstrates love by acting for the sake of this man he doesn't know. And so this is a demonstration of love, of course. It's a demonstration of what's required of us, which none of us have attained to this standard, right? So we have no debts between us and God because God has met our need in Christ, yet we have this debt to one another. This man shared compassion. Now, as I said earlier, there is no brotherhood of men, only neighbors. Now, there's a brotherhood in the church. There's no universal fatherhood of God. God is not everyone's father. He's the father of those who are in Christ, who are sons in Christ, and are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we bear a special responsibility, of course, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but there's no limit on who we're to love. Everyone is our neighbor, the closest people to us. In everyday life, the guy next to us in line, the guy on the road, the guy at our job, no matter our customers, people we're, we're meeting every day is our neighbor. 
We're to be kind to those people, show kindness to those people, service to them, patience, meet their needs, look for their needs and meet them. You know, Christians were known not as Christians by early, by the early, uh, in the early centuries of the church, the second century. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, uh, said, uh, he, he, he said that pagans outside of the church sometimes call Christians Christianity, not Christianity. Uh, Christianity because this Christianity was the word for kindness that Paul invented. It's never been seen before in the Greek and, and only occurs in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, which we read earlier. Love is patient and shows kindness, demonstrates kindness. So these Christians were so known for their kindness that they became known for the word, right? And I think that's, uh, at this time, it's not uncommon for a preacher to say, now, go and be kind, right? Go be more kind. Just be more kind. And yes, that is true. You know, we should, we should be ready to enhance other people's lives. That's kindness. Enhance other people's lives. Serve them, right? But the greatest kindness you can ever show a person is to speak to them about the love of Christ. Because they need his love much more than they need your love. Right? right? Because his love is without fail. His love is unconquerable. His love knows no end. His love has no limit to its breadth, width, depth, etc. Height. It is, it is without fail. Your love is going to be half-hearted. It's going to be good some days, bad some days. It's going to fail. Uh, but God's love never fails. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that we don't love our neighbor, of course. I'm saying you do. But that is the secondary thing. The number one thing they must know is not your love, but the love of Christ. That's what you know, and that's what makes you different. Okay? Like, so let's not just, you know, like run the ball down to the one-yard line and kneel. No, we want to cross the goal line and take them to Christ. You know, like, don't just be kind to them with no explanation for why you're kind. Uh, tell them about Christ and his love for you and how much you need it. How much you have been touched by his love and affected by it. And how he has loved you tangibly and particularly. That is what people really need. Think of Peter. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he says, Jesus says to them in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I've loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, people know that you're my disciples, if you love one another, right? Now, he's going to go and he's going to say, you're going uh, you know, to you're bear what I'm bearing here. You're going to be, uh, you know, uh, lay down your life, right? I'm going to try to, you know, uh, Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? And then Peter says, or he says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times in John 13, 38. So I would argue that Peter, not exactly known for his love for everyone, known more for his denying three times. Like, okay, so again, what they need, they, being your neighbor, is not your love because it's going to be mixed bag. It's going to be okay sometimes, you know, mediocre and poor some days. What they need is Christ's love, Christ's love that restored Peter. Like, he could talk about that. And that's why he's famous is because he preached about the love of Christ. You proclaim the love of Christ. That is what you are as a church, as a Christian. That's how you demonstrate love. That's the, that's the secret sauce that no one else has to give, the love of Christ. You could argue that he's famous for that three times in the of Christ. It's even known in Galatians 2 that Peter 
mistreated the Gentile Christians and withdrawn from eating with them. Like, like I said, he's just like you. He is loved by God. He's been forgiven, and he shows not his love all the time, but the, he preaches the love of Christ. He is hypocritical, inconsistent, and a mess. Though he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, united into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is new in Christ, just like Paul, just like you and me, but he's a mixed bag. His love is not what the world needs. It's good to see. It's not the ultimate answer. The world will know we're his followers by our love, but our lives are mixed bag. They're not sufficient. The world needs not your love, but Christ's love. That's going to be it because your love is not enough. It's going to be disappointing, inconsistent. You're going to die. You're going to fail. You're not going to be able to do it. But the world has to receive Christ's love. What does Paul say elsewhere about Christ's love? He's praying for the church at the end of Ephesians 3. And he asks that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all fullness of God. What you need is to know that love. You need to study that love, encounter that love, receive that love. The world needs, you can't do anything for the world unless you have received that love. You have to know that love. How has God in Christ loved you? He's ransomed you and me from our futile ways that we inherited. Not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as Peter would say in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. He foreknew this before the foundation of the world, and we've seen it. Through Christ we're believers in God, whom he raised from the dead and gave glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Christ and his love for you are God's greatest gift to you, and the answer is to share and demonstrate that gift, that love. It says in 22, having purified your souls by your disobedience, and in this first Peter 1, the truth by sincere brotherly love, it says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. How do you grow in the brotherly love for one another and to love one another? Through the word of God, the abiding word of God. When you read the word of God, it dwells in you. It doesn't leave you. It stays with you. And it reminds you, because you know what? You're going to be assaulted on all sides, because what the devil wants you to do is just to be a nice guy. Just to be an exemplary citizen. And that neighbor that everyone can count on when they need something. And to never say a word about the love of Christ. That is what the devil wants you to think is sufficient. But that is insufficient. The gospel takes words. The gospel takes articulation of Christ's love. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so we've got to give them the word about Christ's incomparable love, which Peter gave out. Which Paul gave out which the church has given out, which is, which is it's why we exist, because someone shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because someone set up shelters and fed people. Yes, these are important actions, but they must not be separated from our Christ-centered message of God forgiving sinners and the Son, Christ. We must be doing actions and words. Cross-centered we must be cross-centered when we're communicating Christ's love. That's what Peter was. 
He talked about the imperishable blood of Christ from the spotless lamb. We must know Christ. We must articulate that. Bunyan, Paul Bunyan, or not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan says, I know no channels through which the love of Christ is conveyed unto us, but those made in his side, his hands, and his feet. I know no other channels but in the hands, the feet, and the side of Jesus. That's where we know the love on the body of Christ. He took on flesh, dwelt among us, suffered, died for our sins, and rose for our justification. He says, I know no other channel besides this, but the gracious promises that drop like honey from his holy lips in the day of his love in which he spake them. Now, this is how the law of God can become like honey. This is why the law of God can become sweet, because you know it's not just a law code, but it's words from your Redeemer. It's words from your Savior. It's words from the one who set you free. And you see his love. Though the devil wants you to, to think that Christ is severe, he, he, wants you to, he wants to make you do hard things that you don't want to do, and he wants to punish you. No, that's not it. He is the love of your soul. He loves you. He set his steadfast love upon you in eternity. He'll never let you go. He is not what the devil says he is. He's not what the devil misrepresents him. He's not what the world represents him as. He's the covenant-keeping, faithful, steadfast, loving God of all. And he gives us this law as a guide. Four images of this law that I want to give to you before we close. The law is a portrait. It paints a picture of who God is. What is he like? The law is a mirror. It demonstrates when we look in the law what we are. When we see how we do not meet the standard. And it leads us as a schoolmaster to Christ. We need him. The law is a map. How we should live free. Now we've been set free from sin. This is justice. This is righteousness. This is holiness. And then it's an x-ray machine. You'll see on our, if we can hit the slide there. I got one more slide for you. The law is an x-ray machine. I want to show you this. This is the law. All right. What's that? Fractured wrist or arm right there on the, on the lower left. Top left. You want to know what that is? Fractured femur. What about the big one on the right? Fractured collarbone, clavicle right there. You see that? Broken bones. The law can show you the broken bones like an x-ray. However, that's painful. It cannot, it can show you the pain, but it can't fix it. You got to go to a doctor for that. You got to go to medicine for that. You got to go to healing for that. And, and that's where Christ comes in his love. His love heals you. His redeeming love heals you. His spirit heals you. The word that dwells in you heals you. The promises that drip like honey from his lips. Where do we know him? We know him from his word, from his law. And so we, he's a guide for us. He leads us. And we've got to, go, we've got to get beyond uh, thinking we are able to justify ourselves and rest totally in Christ. We're never going to feel his love. That we, when, we, when we figure out that we're not okay by looking at the law and seeing the damage that, that we've caused, and we see that, that, that there's no way to reverse it. My religion can't do it. I can't make myself right. Christ does it out of his mere grace. He loves us not because we're qualified, we're broken. He qualifies us or he heals us because he loves us.
He loves us. And that's the guy. David in Psalm 63 declares that his soul was thirsty for God like a dying man in an arid desert. And then he began praising and blessing God. He explained why God deserved his worship. Because of his steadfast love is better than life. He says, your steadfast love is better than life, God. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And as you think about that, that is, that's the, that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You think about a man who was loved unconditionally, picked up, carried, provided for. We're all, that, we're all the guy beaten up, and the Good Samaritan is Christ. It's a story Jesus tells ultimately about himself and someone who looks undesirable at first, but he's, 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 the, he's, the desire, he's going to become the desire of all nations. He would be the stumbling block that we trip over, or he will be the cornerstone and foundation of our life, and sweeter than honey. This is, this is our Lord. This is the loving Christ who leaves heaven above and takes on flesh to save us, who would not give it up at, at Gethsemane when he was uh, tempted, who walked away the cross, who didn't sit on his own way, and he poured out his love in his hands, his feet, and his side, and his blood. This is our lover. This is Christ. This is the love of God. And this is what the world needs more than our love.